Today, Pastor Joel talks to us about being in the middle of the ministry of the night. This is when you think God has left you. You think you are alone and no one understands. Have you been there? Well, today's sermon is for you. We pray you are encouraged as you join us in the message entitled, Steadfast. Good morning. Welcome. It's good to see your face. And the rest of you. Praise God. I tell you, what's the truth, man? I'm standing there and just, it's just, I just feel full. It's the Spirit of God just overflowing in my heart and my mind. And I'm echoing, I guess. Are y'all okay? Okay. Um, there is just, you've got to understand what Elisha told his servant when the king's army came against him. There's more of us than there are of him. God is on your side. Greater is he that is within me than he that's within the world. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You're ahead and not not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, being wrought together. And you know that word wrought there, this isn't part of my sermon, but that word wrought there actually means embroidered. And it's, it's talking about the nerves and the cells in your body. That when you were wrought together in the secret place, the Almighty embroidered you. And you are a beautiful work. So beautiful, in fact, is your life and the potential for who you are that it's, it's, it's suitable to be framed like an embroidered work. So you need to understand just how important you are to God. God chooses to pour out and accomplish His plan in earthen vessels. And that is you. And believe me, He knows all of your impurities, all of your frailties, all of your problems, all of your hang-ups, all the little stuff that aggravate other people in your life. They don't aggravate God. He knew all about them when He wrought you in the secret place. So you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's pray. Father, I just thank You, God, for the power and the anointing that rests upon Your Word. Father, over 1,600 years to put it together, 42 writers and one author, Lord. And Father, man has tried to destroy it and mock it and say it was just a lie and a fairy tale. But he has yet to succeed, God. And Father, by Your Word we live. And by Your Word we stand. And so, Father, on this day, God, I pray that every word of man would fall to the ground and only Your words, God, would go forth and accomplish what You please and prosper in the thing whereunto You sent it, God. That the mind that are held captive today, God, that are in bondage, Lord, would be broken off and be set free right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. I speak against the spirit of fear. I rebuke the spirit of the mind of confusion and racing thoughts in the name of Jesus. Right now, again, I speak against fear. Fear, you didn't hear me the first time. I'll speak it again in the name of Jesus. Spirit of fear that's paralyzing fear. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Let faith arise in your people, God. Let faith, let faith arise in your people, Lord. Let faith arise. This uh, sermon today started a while back for me. Um, I was reading in Job. Actually, God led me to Job, but we're not going to go to Job yet. But this, the title for this sermon would be uh, Steadfast. Steadfast. And uh, how many of you know we all need steadfastness? We do need steadfastness. 
And you need a fearless confidence in God, and not in your own ability. Okay? When my papa stood me up on the Ford station wagon, like this, and I'm like, and he's down here, and he's saying, come on, Joey boy, jump, jump. Daddy will catch you. My confidence was not in myself. Because from the top of a Ford car, that hood looks pretty high to a five-year-old. Some of you are standing up there, and where you're at looks pretty high. God wants you to know you can trust Him, and you need to go ahead and jump. Your confidence is not in your ability to fly, but in God's ability to catch you and carry you. He upholds the world by the power of His Word. Surely He's going to uphold your life. We're going to start off in the book of James. James chapter 1. Old guy, got to get out my glasses here. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into trial, into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And that word actually is better translated there, endurance or perseverance. Let's read it in that light. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and perseverance. Uh, Perseverance and endurance is a better translation of than patience because it speaks to training. It speaks to training. From the time you came to the altar and became a Christian, you set about it on a training program. God is training you to be a believer that walks without fear, that walks with their head held high, knowing you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And to know that God has a plan for your life and a purpose for your life, each and every one of you. You have to abandon this wrong mindset that you have nothing left to offer or you're too young to offer something. As Pastor said, there is no little, medium, and big Holy Spirit. There is only Holy Spirit. And He's the same Holy Spirit in the little ones as He is in the big old ones. And it's still the same power and anointing there. Children can pray for the sick and they recover. Children can pray and the dead be raised. Children can pray and eyes be restored. Children can pray for their classmates and friends and they be saved and set free. Just like you can. Me standing here doesn't make me any more qualified than you to pray for the sick. It is the power of God that changes and touches men's lives. So when we talk about the testing of your faith, you've got to understand you've got this wrong mindset. I know because I had a wrong mindset about testing and trials. The mindset is, is that, oh, my gosh, you've got to understand that, that you've got to change your mindset. It is training. It is to produce endurance and perseverance because the race is long. It's lifelong. And the rewards last into eternity. So this isn't just a game, guys. This is life. This is more than what you can imagine. You are greater than the sum of your parts. But he said, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And that word perfect there actually is mature. So we need to let endurance and perseverance 
have its perfect work in us, build our lungs, build our muscles, build our, our stamina so that we can be a mature and complete believer lacking nothing. He goes on in verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. That word reproach there simply means that God's going to give it to you without reminding you of your unworthiness. Oh, that's good. Come on now. God's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you insight. He's going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you salvation. He's going to give healing. He's going to give the, the, the peace that passes understanding in the middle of a trial and a tribulation. And He's going to do it without reproach. He's going to do it without reminding you how unworthy you are. The enemy brings condemnation and reminds you of unworthiness. God doesn't have to remind you of your unworthiness. The enemy sees fit to try to remind me every day. And all I do is I point him to the cross and I say, He took the writing, the written thing against me, nailed it to his cross. The blood ran down it. Drop blood on paper, printed out paper, and see if you can read through blood. You can read through a highlighter, but you can't read words through blood. And he said he took the writ, he nailed it to the cross, and on that cross the blood run down those sins, and the, the devil can't even read it. So when he, he comes to you and, oh, unworthy, Jesus made me worthy. Jesus made me worthy. And I'm standing steadfast because of him and him alone. He's never left me nor forsaken me. He's never done it in the past. It's why He said to God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why? Because you need a history lesson? No, because you need to remember what He did in the, the, the lives of your forefathers. How He acted on their behalf. He never left them. He never forsook them. And if God says, and His Word is true, it's infallible and inerrant, He said, I, the Lord God, change not, then He's going to do the same thing for you. You can count on God. You can count on God. Testing. <laughs> God is not up there laughing at you, trying to see how much it takes before you break. Okay? Many of you are in what's called the ministry of the night right now. The ministry of the night. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. And in that ministry of the night, sometimes you can feel abandoned by God. But you're in the middle of that endurance, that teaching you, strengthening you, maturing you as a believer. People need you to speak into their life. But testing carries with it the idea of proving genuineness. Testing carries the idea of proving genuineness. Isn't it true? You can sit in class all month long till you have a test. We really don't know whether you know the stuff or not. Do you genuinely know the material or not? We've got to have a test. We've got to have a test. test. Testing proves genuineness. Malachi chapter 3. That's in the Old Testament, not too far before Matthew. My little buddy's talking to me. He was just laughing at me in the back back there. Malachi chapter 3, verse 3. 
He, the He here is God. He will set as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. That's you. You're a kingdom of priests. That's what it says. You are. You have the temple. You are the temple of the Spirit of God. So not only are you the temple, you're the priest. You are a mobile temple, a mobile house, tabernacle, dwelling place for the living God. And you can go, and wherever you go, the Spirit of God is there with you. And the devil, no matter what devil it is, no matter where it is, the devil has to submit to the authority given you in Jesus' name. When you show up, the Holy Spirit shows up, Jesus shows up, God shows up. The power of the Trinity shows up wherever you go. So He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, that's you and me, and purge them as gold and silver. Now, what does that mean? A refiner would take, and many of you maybe already know this, he would take silver or gold, he puts it in the fire. He heats it up so hot that the dross, the stuff that's no count, floats to the top. And they scrape that off, and they may do that a couple times until all of the impurities are taken out of the gold, and what's left is pure gold. And what he's saying of you is, is that he's going to take you, and you're good. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. But he's going to purify you. Sanctification is the process of living out a holy, godly life. And he's going to take you into the fire, and he's going to put you in there, and he's going to purify you. And it's not to destroy you. The heat does not destroy the gold. Sometimes, some of you right now, you're so deep into the ministry of the night right now in your life that you feel like you're about to be destroyed. You're about to perish. But I've got news for you. God is not going to let you die. The gold is not destroyed in the refiner's fire. It is purified. It is made more useful. It is made even more beautiful and more powerful. He's doing this that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. An offering in righteousness. Many of you are brave. You really are. You've been enduring the ministry of the night, and you didn't even know what you were going through. You didn't even know what's happening. And you don't even think of yourself as being brave. But you've got to understand that patience is not a passive resignation to adverse circumstances. I'm going to say that again. Patience is not a passive resignation to adverse circumstances. Oh, well. It's never going to get any better. But a positive steadfastness that bravely endures. It's a steadfastness that bravely endures. If we're enduring something, it means there's an ending to it. Do you understand that? I endure paddling up the river because I know there's going to be an end. I endure the workday some days when I'm just tired and I don't feel good. There's going to be an end to the workday. Even Jesus Himself, folks, is not still on the cross. He was on the cross for a while, but He came down off of the cross. There is an end to it. So it's a brave 
Enduring. It's a brave enduring. That's what patience is. Turn over to, we're jumping around here, so turn over to Isaiah. Will trials come? Not if. It's when. It's when. Just set it in your heart. It's not if, it's when. I don't want you to have a false sense. God's not going to lie to you. God doesn't give false hope. He gives the only hope. He's real with His people. The truth sets us free. Lies keep us in bondage. If I tell you when you become to Jesus and everything's going to be great and lovely and and uh, apple pie every day, I'm lying to you. And sooner or later, your apple pie is going to come out burnt. And you're going to be mad at me. You're going to get mad at God. And then you're going to walk away from serving the Lord. You're ju- that's just exactly the sequence of events that's going to happen. How do I know this? Because God saw fit to let me walk through that stuff. That was one of my fiery trial experiences. One of many. Why? So that I could encourage you. Not every day is hot apple pie with vanilla ice cream. Would be nice. Said that before lunch, didn't I? Sorry. But every day, you can be rest assured, is governed and guided by the living God. And He allows nothing near your dwelling that is not filtered through Him first. And when we get to Job, you got to understand, that was not God doing those things to him. And it almost seemed like God's making a deal with the devil, but God never makes deal with evil. Right. He never does He. It says that God doesn't tempt anyone, nor can He be tempted by, right. by sin. Each man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So it's not God doing this. God's in control. He is in control of what's going on. It may seem like chaos to you right now. If you're in the middle of a struggle or a problem, rest assured, God's not confused. He's in control. He's not scared. He's not biting His fingernails. He's not tapping His finger. He's not patting His foot. He's not running to Jesus saying, Son, what do you think we ought to do for Brother Joel today? Uh, Holy Spirit, do you think you need to give him a zap? Just give him a... And that'll help him out to, uh, 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 Michael, Michael, you angels, uh, what, what do you think about that? Should you go down and appear to him? Maybe that'll help his day out some. Then he'll really believe. Come on. I believe when I cannot see. That's right. I believe when I cannot feel. Okay. I believe when I cannot hear. I believe when I'm standing like a dead man walking. I still believe. And that is the lesson that God has taught me in my life. It is the most valuable lesson. It is the most precious gift. Though I have spoken with the tongues of men and angels, which I have, I've seen miracles, I've seen visions, I've seen had prophecies and words of knowledge over people, and I'm not bragging to you. But all of them are nothing compares to the gift of God making me like a dead man that I believe no matter what I feel, see, hear, smell, or taste, or touch. God is still God. He is still God. And it doesn't matter how rough the circumstances is. And I had to go through hell to see that there are things that only pain can teach you that joy cannot 
There are things that pain can teach you that joy cannot. Now, I'm not telling you God's a God that wants you suffering all the time. I believe me. Pastor preached about we need to enjoy life. And you can. David said, I would have lost heart had I not believed I would have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living right now. And I believe that. But if you as a believer, if you as a believer and God has chosen you to be an unusual Christian, you're going to face trials. You're going to face struggles. He's going to put you in the fire. He's going to refine you. And He's going to make you to the point that these things don't make you falter. These things are not like a wave of the sea anymore, are you? Where you're tossed about by every wind of change or doctrine. Finances are bad. My family's in disorder. My grades aren't that good. My teacher hates me. You see? I got pain in my body. Got cancer in my body. He's God no matter what. He was God before you ever were. He is God and was God before time began. He's what we call in theological circles transcendent. Means he transcends all of those things. He does not need you to exist, but he's also, thank you, praise Almighty God, he is imminent also. That means he's right here with me right now, every day. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. Even in the darkest time when I could not feel God, it was because he had withdrawn from me like he did Hezekiah to test me to see all that was in my heart. He did it to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. He had some problems. Me too. But it said that God withdrew from Hezekiah to see all that was in his heart. Now, he already knew what was in Hezekiah's heart. What is he doing? He's letting Hezekiah see what's in his own heart. God's going to show you what you're made of. Pure gold. Pure silver. All right. I need some water. In Isaiah chapter 43, did I tell you the chapter? No? Yes? Okay. I'm learning. Till the day I die, I'm learning. It's not if you will have trials or problems. It's when. Testing and trials. Verse 1 of, of Isaiah. It's my absolute... Now, I love the by stripes were healed and I love... Uh, I mean, Isaiah is just a wonderful messianic book. It is. It's awesome. But this, these verses are probably my most favorite Isaiah text. And it says in verse 1 of 43, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. You've been redeemed, folks. There's nothing left to fear. Hell hath no hold on you anymore. Death, where's your sting? Hell, where's your victory? I belong to the king. Am I going to fear disease? Sometimes people do. That's a normal thing. And maybe you shudder a little bit when you got that news. But God's trying to get you to the point where you pick it up and you say, you're still God. You're God no matter what my circumstances. That did not change who you are. It may affect me mentally, emotionally. But God, your Holy Spirit's here to strengthen me in this fire that I'm in. I have, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. Personal is my God. 
personal is my God? What's your problem? Is it's, He knows. He wants to minister to your individual problem. What's your fear? Do you have a fear of elevators? Fear of heights? Fear of sickness and disease? Fear of death? Fear of not being able to provide for your family? What is that? He knows. I've called you by your name. He's an individual God. You are mine. You belong to Him. Then he goes on. He says, not if, but when, verse 2. When you pass through the waters. Now, I've read the Scripture to you in here before. But you needed to hear it again. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. You're not going to be destroyed. That's what God is telling you there. That word waters there is ma'im. It means it is indicative of the raging heathen and the chaotic storms of life. That's what waters means right there. Ma'im. Ma'im. So, if we read it in that context, we say, when you pass through the raging heathen and the chaotic storms of, of life, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. You're not going to be destroyed. Are you going to remember walking through the fire and the water? Yes, you are. I, you can better believe it. You will remember. It is indelibly marked on your mind for all eternity. Because not only is my spirit going to heaven, but my new body and my emotions, my, my, my soulish man is going. And so I'm going to remember that day when that happened in that time. And I'm going to remember how tough it was. But I'm also going to remember how that God reached down and pulled me up out of the miry clay, He said. And cleaned me off and said, How was that, son? It won't do much fun, God. <laughs> and you spit out the mud. <laughs> and you say, but I made it. Yeah, yes, you did. Praise God. Look, there's about a thousand of them behind you, son. They fixing to hit that mud pit. What I need you to do now is stand on the other side of this hole and say, Come on, come on. You can do it. I did it. Look at me. I ain't even an athlete. I could hide behind this microphone stand. I'm so skinny, brother. But you can make it. Come on. Hit the hole running. Yeah, come on. Don't do like I did. Like, Just take off running. Woo-hoo. Get it over with. I'm telling you, it's terrible. Don't linger. I lingered. I got cold and wetter. Nothing wet, worse than wet socks and wet underwear, you know? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. This stuff gets right to the core of you, man. You know? And you're just floundering around out there in the pit, and God's on the other side saying, Come on, son, don't go back. No, 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 no. It's further back than it is to me. That's right. It's further back. You've come so far. You've invested so much. People are depending on you. You don't think it, but they look up to you. There's a lot of you in here. That people look to you. Your own family. People at work. That guy's got it together. Inside you're like... <laughs> They'll come up to you and they got their life's falling apart. And you're like, well, you know, brother, let me pray for you. You know, God's got a plan for your life. God's lost. And you pray for him. They walk off, man. I think, man, that guy 
guys got together. And you go back over there and you look at your worksheet and you go, that's between you and God. But you're standing on the other side now and you're saying, come on, son, you can make it. You can make it. God's up there, this whole cheering section. You're in them waters. You're in that river. The fire. You're going to remember it. But you won't be destroyed. You won't be destroyed. That's the mindset. It's endurance to get to the end of the race. The race, there is a prize. This time of testing and trial in your life does have an end, I promise you. Wherever it is, whatever's going on, it is going to end for you. But you've got to understand that God is, as Pastor eloquently says, God's either trying to work something in you, through you, or out of you. He's trying to get the dross out of you. The stuff that's useless. Nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Your Savior. We're going to flip over to the book of Job. I won't go into all of the theology behind the book of Job. We don't have six, seven, eight weeks to do that. Job suffered greatly. The Bible says he was an upright man. He was a good man. He went through some trials. But when I was reading this verse, and this verse, believe it or not, is what started all of this word that God gave me weeks ago. I was reading during my lunch hour, and for some reason I flopped open to the book of Job in the 23rd chapter of Job. I'm going to start reading at verse 8. Now you've got to understand that all the trials that Job went through and the problems uh, really weren't his fault. His friends were coming, and Elphaz, one of his buddies, had just came before that and was busting Job's chops, telling him he was in sin, and this is why this happened to him. But Job just can't believe that. In the end, God actually sticks up for Job to his friends and says, you guys need to get Job to pray for you. So you guys are blaming Job, and there's a lot of junk going on in your own life. So we won't even go into that one, because... That one hurts me too bad. <laughs> but here Job says he's, he's kind of discombobulated, but he knows in his heart, okay? He doesn't have the Holy Spirit right now, like you do, to reveal to him that this is not God doing this to him. He just knows that God is on his side, even though what's going on, he can't control. And, he, and he's talking before this, if I could just get to God, if I could just plead my case before him. And he says in verse 8, Look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job is, is, is saying what I have said. He's saying what I have felt in the deepest, darkest hours of my mind when I stood there and I said, I go forward, I can't find him. I go backwards. He's doing something over here on my left hand. But I don't know what it is. He's doing something on my right and I can't perceive that either. Where are you, God? It is in that withdrawing from me that God is building steadfastness. He is building the fruit of faith. The fruit of faith is steadfastness. 
It is standing firm no matter what's going on. Even when I don't understand what your plan is, God. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. What does he say to do? Give up? He said, keep on praying. Keep on. Steadfastness. We all need steadfastness. He goes on to say here, When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job had some kind of inkling that God's working something through me. He's never failed me in the past. So even though times are tough, and I'm not saying he enjoyed this. He didn't. Many times he felt like dying. He said, oh, I wish I had never even been born even. But he's saying, I know God's got something going on. What that is right there is that positive steadfastness that bravely endures. That's the kind of patience Job had there. It wasn't the passive resignation to adverse circumstances saying, well, there's nothing I can do. Nothing I can do. What does he begin to do? He begins to praise God. He begins to talk about what he's going to do. He says right here, he says, wait a minute. Verse 11, my foot has held fast to his steps. I've kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Wow. He's saying, I, God, your things, what you would say to me, your words are more precious to me than even the food that I eat. Yeah. He's doing what David did. He said that David encouraged himself in the Lord. I'm not the man or the woman I used to be. God's in this. I just don't see what it is right now. He's working on my left and my right hand. And I don't understand it all. But I'm encouraging myself in the Lord, and I'm going to move on with God when He tells me to move. And if He tells me to stay put, then I stay put. If He doesn't say anything, then I just stand here. I'm steadfast. That's what means stand fast. You can't walk a worry spot. You ever walked a worry spot? I've walked a worry spot before. Walk a worry spot. That's not standing still, is it? I'm more of a worry stone guy. I'll take a pen. That's why I usually don't bring pens up here with me. Because I'll be talking to you clicking the pen. It's a nervous twitch or whatever you want to call it. You know, you cannot walk a worry spot in the carpet or in your mind. Many of you have worry spots walked in your mind. It's called racing thoughts. Your mind has been racing 90 miles an hour. How am I going to pay the electric bill? Not about whether you can afford gas for your luxury yacht. A lot of you folks have had, I myself included, Legitimate worries. Legitimate concerns. But you can't walk a worry spot in your mind. It's not effective. It does not do you any good. Jesus said taking thought, you can't add one cubit to your height, and you can't make one of these gray hairs on this old man's head black. It just doesn't work. I'm telling you. You can't do it. You've got to give it to Him. You've got to stand still. I screamed one time so loud coming up the road from Bible college that I couldn't talk for three days. I just I just had enough, you know. You ever just had enough? 
It's like if one more thing happens. If one more thing breaks down. Oh, really? Clunk, clunk. Didn't, didn't accomplish anything. I actually did the reverse. Found out that the whole metaphysical change behind that is it actually makes you feel worse. It does. Breathe through your nose and out through your mouth. That works. While you're praising God. Everybody with me? Not asleep? All right. He goes on to say that I have desired you more than my necessary food, but he is unique. And who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. That he does. There, uh, and many things, such things are with him. Many unknowable, mysterious things. You know, one of the defining moments in my life was when I found out my dad wasn't Superman. When I became an adult and I fully realized that my dad was just a man like me. No better, no worse. He was just a man. And he was going to die one day. It just took all the mystery because God, you know, dad was like a superhero. Dad could fix anything. You know, my dad can beat up your dad. My daddy wasn't a big man, but he was a strong man. And I've told you that before. He had forearms like Popeye and hands like a catcher's mitt. You know, he could ring your chimes if he wanted to. My daddy would bust your daddy upside the head. Yeah. But then I grew older and I grew up and I realized that my father had worries. And when the weight of responsibility hit my shoulders, a respect for my father grew that I had never had before. An understanding of what he sacrificed for me. You know, I got a Remington shotgun one year for Christmas. It was an awesome Christmas gift. It wasn't until my dad was dying of cancer that it fully hit me what sacrifice that was for him. That was probably about a half of his net take-home pay or more for a week. And so when I became a dad and a husband, I had a greater respect for my father, but I realized just how frail he was. But your God is not like that. Job's saying right here, though I don't understand, there's some mysteries about God. There's deep things about Him. He does what He desires. But he is unique, and who can change? Who make him change? Who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Job goes on to say, therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider this, I'm afraid of him. And it wasn't that he feared God to the point of, oh, God's going to destroy me. It's like, my future is in his hands. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? It's a fearful thing, the Bible says, to fall into the hands of the living God. Why? Because you are absolutely transparent as glass in His hands. He sees every intention, every emotion, bad and good intentions. All of it is bare, open, and naked before the one that you have to give an account to. So it is fearful. And Job realized that. He realized that his God was greater than he could possibly understand. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, God says. And I'm glad of that. I'm glad I don't worship a God made by men's hands. 
So in the times when I'm confused and I don't understand what he's doing, it needs to be, and it's finally becoming that way, but I hope for you it will become that way, that you understand he is a marvelous, powerful God, and it should inspire you that your God is in control, and he's governing this thing, these pieces on a chessboard. You're on the chessboard. You're not above it like he is, making these moves ahead of you. He's in control of your life. He said, for God made my heart weak and the Almighty terrifies me because I was not cut off from the presence of darkness. And he did not hide deep darkness from my face. There was a time when I was in some deep darkness and I cried to the Lord to just take me out of this. And he could have. But he saw fit not to. Because he had a purpose and a plan that I could not see. And it terrified me. I thought, God, have you abandoned me? Have you given up on me? Have you left me here to die? No. I'm making you into pure gold, son. Useful for the kingdom. Useful to to minister and speak into someone else's life. I want to read to you something. I'm sorry, but it's, it's my favorite author. I always read. I just I love this guy. His name is A.W. Tozer. And he, he wrote several books, but this one is That Incredible Christian. And one of the chapters in his book is actually called The Ministry of the Night. And then you can imagine when I was in a hard place, and I'm reading the Bible, and I'm doing devotion still, and, then, and I open this book, and I get to this chapter that says The Ministry of the Night. And I was like, oh, no. This is what I've been dealing with and going through. And he says down here, I'm going to read a couple paragraphs. If God sets out to make you an unusual Christian, he is not likely to be as gentle as he is usually pictured by the popular teachers. A sculptor does not use a manicure set to reduce the rude, unshapely marble to a thing of beauty. The saw, the hammer, and the chisel are cruel tools. But without them, the rough stone must remain forever formless and unbeautiful. You can't chisel a statue out of marble with a manicure set. It just doesn't work that way. you got a big hammer, a metal chisel, and you start roughing off the big pieces. And you get down there and you're doing some fine tuning. But it's still visceral. It still hurts. It makes an impression. But it won't destroy you. To do His supreme work of grace within you, He will take from your heart everything you love most. What's on the altar of your heart between you and God? What is that thing? Give it up to Him. What's your Isaac? Everything you trust in will go from you. That happened to me. I can tell you right now. Everything. Piles of ashes will lie where your most precious treasures used to be. While in this state, you will exist by a kind of blind will to live. I have done that. I can tell you right now. I have walked and lived just a blind will to live. My will took over. And that's where the key to faith is. 
It's not a feeling. It's an act of your will. Faith is not a feeling. It is an act of your will. Love is not a feeling. It is an act of your will. And they are both intertwined with serving God. We love God and we have faith in God and we serve Him out of an act of our will sometimes when it makes no sense to our fleshly mind. Sometimes when we don't feel good. You exist by a kind of blind will to live. You will find none of the inward sweetness you had enjoyed before. Maybe there was a time, you know, you and God were just like, woo, on a mountain. And then things got rough. And you're like, what in the world? The smile of God will be for the time withdrawn or at least hidden from your eyes. Then you will learn what faith is. You will find out the hard way, but the only way open to you. That true faith lies in the will. That the joy unspeakable of which the apostle speaks is not itself faith, but a slow ripening fruit of faith. He's telling you joy unspeakable is a fruit of faith. It's a slow ripening fruit of faith. Joy unspeakable. And you will learn that present spiritual joys may come and go as they will without altering your spiritual status or in any way affecting your position as a true child of the Heavenly Father. That verse right there, when he's writing that, just that just hit me good because it's like you learn. You will learn that present spiritual joys may come and go as they will without altering your spiritual status or in any way affecting your position as a true child of the Heavenly Father. These things that come, good days, happiness is based on happenings. You're happy, you know, something good happens or you're happy. You see, that's not, that's not going to get you through. That's, not, that's like a drug. That's like taking a drug to feel better. You, 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 you know, you, you snort cocaine or whatever. It's not lasting. That's an emotion that's not lasting. You will learn for yourself what all the schools in the world could not teach you. The healing action of faith without supporting pleasure. There's a healing that needs to take place in you. Many of you have bitter roots from your past. There's things that's going to come up as you're serving God. They're going to surface. You're going to feel worse some days than you did when you were lost. Because God's trying to get all that unuseful junk that's hurting you and keeping you in bondage from your childhood. Fears of abandonment, fear of sickness and disease, hurt and shame associated with molestation, or whatever those things are. There's a healing that needs to take place in you. A healing action of faith without supporting pleasure. You will feel and understand the ministry of the night. It's power to purify, to detach to humble, to destroy the fear of death. That's the main thing. And more importantly, the fear of life. Some of you fear death, and some of you fear life. And the ministry of the night helps to destroy that fear in you. Don't be afraid to live. Some of you have been afraid to live. You've been afraid to take a risk. To take a chance for God. That's a fear of life. You've prayed and asked God about that job. Should I take that job? 
And you say, why won't you answer me, God? And God's waiting for you to take a step of faith. You had a fear of life. The ministry of the night devoids us of that fear. It devoids us of a fear of death. You know why? Because there's been times in my life when I finally realized there are worse things than death. I did. And it won't pretty and it won't fun, but I can tell you one thing, I will remember it the rest of my life. Death has no hold over me. It has no power over me. It, it has a power to purify us, to detach us from the things that are going to hold us back, to humble us, to destroy the fear of death, and what is more important to you at the moment, the fear of life. And you will learn that sometimes pain can do what even joy cannot, such as exposing the vanity of earth's trifles and filling your heart with longing for the peace of heaven. What time is it? Don't keep you too long. Oh, I'm getting late. Your, your stomach starts growling. Well, lest I leave you without hope. <laughs> I know it's a tough word. But in Psalms 18, I want you to see how God feels about you. Before I read that, you can turn to Psalms 18, verse 4. There's five qualities to have during trials. You are going to have trials. You're going to have tribulation. They will come. Jesus said they're going to come. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave you. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He was in the garden. He was desperate, depressed, upset. His soul was suffering nigh unto death. You know, he was in such turmoil. But his peace is lasting. It's not just for a moment. Job tells us in the 12th verse of chapter 23, a secret there. There's five things from this that God showed me. Do not depart from the command of his lips. Number two, treasure his words more than anything. And in James, we're not going to turn there, but in James chapter 1 verse 19, it's the qualities to have during trials. Be swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. So, do not depart from the commands of his lips when you're in trials. Treasure his words more than anything. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. In other words, don't act rashfully. They tell you, psychologists will tell you when you're in a stressful situation, don't make financial decisions and things like that. When you're in this trial, don't make flippant decisions. Listen. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at the people around you, your family. I've been there. Grumpy Gus. You know, come home. Oh, Dad's home. I'm going to my room. He's grouchy today. My kids are not the cause of the problem. Why am I grouchy at them? I, you know, I had to figure out. I had to confess that. Tell them I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm not perfect. My dad wasn't. You're not. But in Psalms 18, verse 4, it's a psalm of David. He said, The pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows 
of Sheol, or the grave, surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. And my cry came before him, even to his ears. Even to his ears. Listen, if you're in that trial, you're in the ministry of the night, and it sounds, it seems like God is nowhere to be found. Understand, He paid too great a price to kick you to the curb. He bled. He died for you. He suffered imaginable pain. And He's telling me right here that when I cry, in my distress, I cry that He heard my voice from His temple and that it came up even to His ear. Even to His ear. And look at what it says about God here. It said, Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken. Because he was angry, smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. God just pushed the supernatural realm right down to me and came to my rescue. When God heard my cries, what he's telling you, he's giving you a promise that it it sets him into action. It says, when he heard this, then the earth shook and trembled. He bowed the heavens down to come down to my rescue. God has not left you fatherless. That's right. It goes on to say, he sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. In verse 16, He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters like we read in Isaiah. Ma'im. He drew me out of those trials finally. He was right there at the end. and reached down. I made it over. Reached up. And He helped pull me right up on out of there. But I came through it. And it did something in me. It changed me. These trials that I've gone through so far and whatever I'll go through in the future changed me. They made my faith stronger. They made me more reliant on God and to believe and stand steadfast than on man and than on my ability. And He'll do the same for you. And, And in closing this, I would just, my prayer for you is that if you're going through the ministry of the night, I want to pray for you up here. I would be happy to, if you just want to come and just and pray by yourself and and that God, you know, I'm going to stand steadfast. But you need to understand, He's taken, as as Pastor said, all the grievances, all that read against you, has been nailed to His cross. It's under the blood. You know, you can trust Daddy and jump out in His arms. It's scary. It's scary. It's easy to wade around in the water when you swim when you can touch the bottom, right? When you can't touch the bottom, it's kind of scary, right? That's when you really see whether you can swim or not. Huh? Yeah. Not just dog paddle till you're tired and then touch the bottom again. God wants you to really be a good swimmer. And He's taking you out in the deep water. He's taking you out. He wants to take you out. Make you an unusual believer. Unusual believer. Did that make sense to you? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's that's my goal, not to confuse you. <laughs> that's why I want it to be God's words and not mine. 
It is the power of the Word of God that sets you free. Yeah. Nothing I can say. Uh, and I'll pray for you. I mean, and, 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 uh, and I love to do that. But you don't need man's hands laid on you to pray for you. But we do that out of obedience to God's Word. It says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We can be sick in our minds. We can be sick in our, our emotions. And we can be sick in our physical body. We can be sick. We're a triune being. So whatever area it is that you're sick in, I'd be happy to pray for you this morning. But for you to be a steadfast believer, even when you don't see, guys, even when you don't hear, even when you don't feel it, still believe. Still believe. 